Good morning. When I was a young Christian, our role models as Christians, those who inspired and challenged us most, I think, were probably missionaries. You know, those, those special people who had uh, responded to the call of God to serve him in some overseas location. We obviously knew all about some of the famous missionaries of, of the past in history, both uh, here in this country and overseas. We knew about John Wesley and uh, how over his lifetime, for example, he actually traveled over 250,000 miles on horseback all around the country for year after year in order to bring the gospel, the good news of Jesus to people. I read as a young Christian, I read the biography of Hudson Taylor and how he bravely and, uh, and, and in a very much a pioneering way uh, took the gospel to, to China. And we knew this famous quote of, of William Carey, the, the, the missions founder. And he said this, he said, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. So we always had this um, set up for us as that's really what you should be going for. If you're really serious about God, if you really are committed as a Christian, then you'll need to discover and respond to the call of God, which may well mean a call to the mission field. And so lots of churches then, I think still lots of churches today, have a missionary board in the church building. You know that board where there's the photographs of the of the local church members who've gone out overseas and it's got that piece of string that, that links their photograph to the country they're in so that people can remember them and pray for them. I think in this past year lots of people have said they've learned a new word, the word furlough. Well we knew that word furlough long ago because when missionaries came home from overseas for a break they came back on furlough. That's where we were introduced to the word. So if you are a serious Christian, you had to think about mission, probably mission overseas. But at the same time as a young Christian, I had a friend called Tim. Now, Tim was a few years older than me, probably about 10 years older than me. He was in his 20s. I was in my late teens. And uh, Tim was a very committed Christian, very keen very active. He would do lots of uh, speaking engagements where he's sharing his testimony or, or speaking in some way um, uh, the good news and, and, and preaching. Um, he was also an expert in judo. He'd written a book himself about the theory and practice and rules of judo. And uh, see, the thing, though, about Tim was that Tim had cerebral palsy. He lived in a care home, he used a wheelchair, his speech was quite difficult to follow, and he only had the independent use of one finger. And it was with that one finger that he typed that book on judo. And because I just passed my driving test and could drive and had the use of a car, I was able to take Tim around to various places where he was speaking. And Tim's life and Tim's example challenged me just as much as any of those missionaries that I've mentioned before. In fact, it challenged me so much that it made me think, well, if Tim 
can serve God like he's serving God with just the independent use of one finger, what am I going to do to serve God for the rest of my life with an able body? Both of them, those missionaries and Tim, my friend, were all aware of their mission from God. And we're going to look at a scripture in a minute from Matthew's Gospel all about mission. And the word mission just means being sent. Being sent. And we're going to look now at Matthew chapter 10, while well, starting at the end of chapter 9, at when Jesus, first of all, sent out his followers, his disciples, on their very first mission. And so let's pick this up from Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, reading into the first few verses of Matthew 10 as well. Jesus travelled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. Moving on to verse 5. Jesus sent out the 12 apostles with these instructions. Don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. So this is where Jesus sends these disciples out they're sent out. They're given a mission. In fact, the word apostles actually literally means sent out ones, those who are sent. It's interesting here that they're first of all described as disciples, those who followed Jesus. And then as they're sent out, as they receive their mission, they become apostles. I do believe that every single disciple, every single one of us, as followers of Jesus, need to receive a mission, be sent out, as it were, for our own particular special mission in life. Not just to be a follower, that's good, but to have a mission from Jesus. Following Jesus means having an active mission, being sent to other people. And I suppose then my question this morning is, do you know your mission? Do you have that sense from God as to who he's called you to go to, to love, to serve, to share the good news of Jesus with, to share your testimony, to pray for? A mission. These men here were sent out in order to continue the work of Jesus to continue his work in word and in deed, to preach the kingdom of heaven, 
and to heal the sick, cast out evil spirits and share that good news in deed as well as in word. We're called to do the same thing, to continue the work of Jesus, his kingdom activity, his kingdom message. It says that he, Jesus, gave them authority. He had all authority and now he gave it to them to do the same things that he'd been doing. The key principle, though, was in that very last phrase that I read. We didn't read the whole chapter. Please read that on your own. But in that last uh, phrase, I remember it from a different version of the Bible. I think we all know this verse. Freely you have received, freely give. That's the principle of life for us as Christians. We freely receive from God day after day, grace upon grace. And we need to freely give away what we have received. Give it away to others. Let the life of God flow through you. Let it flow through us. Don't let it all pile up and get blocked and stagnant in our lives, but let's express to others in whatever way God gives us to be able to express that. Wherever our mission field is or part of a mission field uh, it, it is, whether it's a, a, a local scene, like my friend Tim back then, or whether it's some other place in the world, there is always a mission field for all of us. Let the life of God flow. Freely you have received, freely give. So here in chapter 10 of Matthew, Jesus gives instructions to the apostles, the sent ones, for this specific mission. But often the case with Jesus in what he teaches and says, there are levels of fulfillment. And there are in fact in this chapter, three levels of fulfillment. There's that which was gonna happen on this local mission. He tells them who they're to go to, what they're to take, um, and what they're not to take so as to rely on the hospitality of, of people who welcome them. That's the specifics to then. But then he also talks about issues that didn't really apply on this first mission, but nevertheless have applied later to these disciples, to these apostles, and to every generation of Christians, because he's talking then about opposition that they'll face, uh, uh, even persecution being brought up before the courts and the authorities, uh, being betrayed um, by family members and others. Uh, and he talks about their potential to be fearful and, and, and instead to rely on the Holy Spirit who will speak through them uh, and how they are to have this priority of following Jesus above every other issue and claim in their life. So that's for all disciples, not just for these 12. But even more than that, there are three instances here in the chapter where Jesus refers to the very end time fulfillment. So you've got the first local mission, the mission of all disciples, and then the fulfillment of them all. I'll quickly read them to you. They all start with the phrase, I tell you the truth. And so you have, for example, here in this order, verse 15, Jesus says certain things about their, their specific mission and then says, I tell you the truth. The wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah will be better off than such a town on the judgment day. 
So Jesus suddenly switches to the very end and starts talking about the judgment day, the day of judgment. Then he carries on some, with some more instructions until he comes to verse 23, where he says, When you are persecuted in one town, flee to the next. I tell you, I tell you the truth. The Son of Man will return before you have reached all the towns of Israel. Now, clearly, he's there talking about his second coming, his return, which didn't happen. He was already with them in person there. It didn't happen during this specific mission. But he's saying this mission will carry on for all my followers until I come again. In fact, later on in chapter 24, Jesus says that this gospel of the kingdom must be preached as a testimony to all nations, to all ethnic groups, and then the end will come. So he's talking about the return of Jesus, the very end. And then finally, verse 42, the very end of the chapter, he says, and if you have given, and if you give even a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, I tell you the truth, you will surely be rewarded. So he's talking here about the eternal reward of the saints. All three aspects, day of judgment, return of Jesus, eternal reward, all connected with the end time fulfillment. Now, you may be thinking at this stage, well, surely these apostles were unique. Were they not the only ones sent out? Um, and in one sense, yes, of course, they were unique. They were the, the 12 first disciples of Jesus. Uh, and if you think about the early church, the absolute vast majority of them, those people, ordinary saints in whatever location, they lived in that one place, that city, that town, that village. They lived in that one place for the entirety of their lives. They weren't all sent out to the ends of the earth, but they were nevertheless sent sent to their local communities, sent to serve God in the ordinary circumstances, day in, day out of their working life, their family life, with their neighbours, in their local situation. It is true that some then, some people then and some people today, according to scripture, are given what we call ministry gifts. You can read about them in Ephesians chapter 4. Some are apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. Some are. Not all, some are, so that everybody can be built up and serve God. But we're also told that although some are given ministry gifts, all, absolutely every single Christian, is given a spiritual gift. We read about that in 1 Corinthians 12. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And so back to our principle of giving away what we have freely received, let me repeat my question for each one of us to consider. How can I give away freely what I have received? A few nights ago, I think I had a dream or certainly was impressed of a phrase because in the morning this phrase was just going around my head. The phrase was simply this, what do you see? What do you see? 
Now, I had been reading recently the book of Amos in the Old Testament, and maybe it was just me remembering that, because God said that to Amos. He said to him twice, what do you see? And Amos said, I see a plumb line. I see a basket of ripe fruit. Well, if he'd said that to Jesus here in this situation, what do you see? Jesus saw crowds. He saw them helpless and confused like sheep without a shepherd. But it wasn't the only thing that Jesus saw. Jesus saw fields that were ripe for harvest. He saw the needy people, but he saw beyond that to that potential of a harvest field. I was really uh, disappointed uh, just uh, a, a few weeks ago when I read about the daffodil crop in Cornwall, which is a big deal there, uh, the daffodil crop every year in Cornwall. And because they did not have enough workers due to Brexit and due to COVID, they had to leave the daffodils to rot in the fields. Thousands and thousands of pounds worth um, of, of crop there. They didn't have enough workers. Jesus is making the same point here. The fields are ripe, there's plenty there, but there are too few workers. Now ask God, the Lord of the harvest, to thrust people out into their harvest field, whether that's locally or further afield. So what do you see? That's what I remembered in my sleep. What do you see? What is right in front of you? What is your part of the field? What is your mission? Whatever it is, I do believe Jesus wants us to get stuck in, to get our hands dirty and get involved and be part of the harvest that by his spirit he wants to bring into the kingdom. If it helps, let me suggest this way that all of us could respond. I've got, I've got three questions that you could prayerfully take to God and ask him and ask him to speak to you about and as you contemplate and meditate and pray about it, maybe God will give you some clarity about that. The first question is, who am I sent to? The whole thing is about what my mission is, but first question, who am I sent to? Is it a particular group of people, individual situation? Who am I sent to? Jesus said to the disciples, just go to the Israelites, the, the lost sheep of Israel at that time. Of course, later on, he said, make disciples of all nations. But at this time, that was their mission field. Second question, am I sure that the Holy Spirit is with me? Because without the Holy Spirit, his anointing, his life, his power within us, well, we'll struggle and it will be probably a failure. Even John Wesley, though we read about his amazing exploits for God, he went on a mission trip for years to America and it was a total disaster, a total failure. He came back utterly discouraged and after that, he experienced the Holy Spirit filling him, which made all the difference. Am I sure the Holy Spirit is with me? Third question, does Jesus have priority over all other claims in my life? As much as it's right to love 
husband, wife, children and neighbours, Jesus comes before even any of those. Does Jesus have priority over all other claims in my life? What is your mission? Why not ask God those questions and be honest with what you hear back from him? Freely we have all received. Let us freely, freely give. Amen.